0: Welcome to the Curious Conscious Capitalist. I'm Tom Yorton, marketer, author, and CEO. We're brought to you by Conscious Capitalism Chicago. You can find us, ironically enough, at ConsciousCapitalismChicago.org. We created this podcast because we're curious. Curious about the work we do every day. Curious about the role of business in society. Curious about better ways to create, collaborate, and thrive in our changing economy. Mondays don't have to suck we can have a better relationship to our jobs and the people we work with. We can be Conscious Capitalists. Greetings, everyone. This is Tom Yorton with The Curious Conscious Capitalist. So excited to do another episode here. I am thrilled today to be joined by Rachel Bernier-Green. Rachel is the owner of Lane's Bake Shop here in Chicago and a different kind of business than some of the businesses that we've been talking to. And I'm thrilled to hear her story, to hear what's common, uh, across all business enterprises, what's common about all the challenges of running an organization and all that, but also what's unique uh, in her field and in her experience. And uh, Rachel has done some amazing things uh, in a short period of time and uh, excited to have her here with us today. Um, by way of background, uh, Rachel is uh, is like me in a sense. Uh, she's uh, It's a tale of multiple careers within a career. Uh, uh, Rachel comes uh, with a uh, master's degree in taxation from the University of Illinois. Uh, She worked in the tax practice of KPMG for nearly five years in various positions of increasing authority. So she had a a great career in that space. And in parallel, she started her own business. She's an entrepreneur who is in the bakery business, uh, and she started Lane's Bake Shop. So Rachel, thank you for being here.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Well, tell us a little bit about that. I'm mean, Just as a great launching point here, it's a kind of a curious juxtaposition of two very different kinds of businesses. How did that come about?
1: So it seems, they seem disparate, but uh, for me, math and accounting uh, has always been tied into entrepreneurship. So growing up, I was homeschooled and I was the oldest, and some of my siblings, they're just like math savants. and they, um, <laughs> So I thought, hey, you know what, I have other things I'm really great at, maybe that's not really my field. <laughs> And the first time I ever remember um, being excited about math was when my mom used a brownie recipe to teach me fractions. And so I realized, hey, you know, if you can use this to cook, there might be, you know, there might be some use to this. And (laughs) That's um, awesome. Then I started selling the things that I was making. And then I realized I could use math to make money and to cook. And so that was the the love of baking and cooking and math have always kind of been inextricably tied to me. Wow, that's uh, a
0: very in, inventive uh, coupling of things. Your, your, <laughs> your mom's a good teacher.
1: She is. She is. And so those lessons stuck because they were tied to things that I loved. So my career path kind of took me on a winding route. But it does not surprise me as much as it surprises other people that that path led me to where I am now.
0: It is funny, because when I look back at, at, you know, people I've talked to and people I've met, it's, uh, there's almost always a a connective thread running through a career. Uh, It may not be obvious on the surface. Uh, You know, I've ricocheted in things that are wildly different on the surface, but there's always kind of a through line or a connective thread. When you think about your story, you know, there's the math piece, I guess, but is there a connective thread or is there a through line um, in your story, in your career arc?
1: Yeah, so I would think that there are probably, there's probably two. One is entrepreneurship. Although I fought that for a while, that's been something that has fascinated me since I was very young. I remember that when Like my friends were dressing up as princesses or playing house. I was dressing up as Madam C.J. Walker or (laughs) Oprah. And I kind of fought that, but Looking back, it wasn't clear, I guess, along the way, but looking back, you can see that that was a drive that I always had. And then I think the other piece of it was I always wanted to do something that made an impact. Mm -hmm. Um, For a long time, I thought that that would be separate from my career and that if I had a career where I could make money, then I could start a nonprofit, which I did at one point, and then I could use that nonprofit to do good. So it took a while before all of those things kind of meshed together. Mm. But I think that desire to impact the environment around me and this entrepreneurial piece are the two things that have kind of followed me in everything that I've done.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. And, it, you know, it seems like that is a connective thread when I, I, I neglected to mention um, in the intro that I did the volunteering that you do. Um, you know, you've worked with Chicago Cares, the Chicago Urban League, the National Association of Black Accountants. It seems like giving back's kind of part of your DNA
1: very much so i think i definitely wouldn't be where i am today without the assistance of a lot of people and so i feel like that's kind of each of our responsibility to uh, actually for the national association of black accountants that's the model to lift as we climb and i've kind of adopted that as my personal model
0: that's interesting too it's like what a great idea what a great turn of phrase uh, to lift as we climb Uh, and uh, there's kind of an other directedness about that yeah. um that we so often in work and in careers there's this idea that we're focused on our own ladder our own journey uh but what can we do for others that's that's not always talked about in the same breath and that's that's pretty cool i love that that phrase to lift as we climb and it shouldn't be just that group i, I would love to think that we can all view it yeah. our work that way and the way we interact with others absolutely um, talk a little bit about, uh, I love uh, the story of the name of the bakery, Lane's Bakery. So uh, tell us a little bit about how that came about and some of the backstory there.
1: Yeah, so we call, our story is really the story of the three lanes. Uh, even our phone number is an eight four four three lanes um, And that comes from, the first lane was my grandfather. Uh, my grandfather, he grew up on the south side of Chicago, and he was always telling us stories about um, to this day is still telling us stories about how great the South Side was at that time in Bronzeville and They were the epicenter of commerce and culture for the black community in Chicago and all of the arts and the clubs. And so he was the person that made me realize that the South Side I grew up with was not necessarily the South Side that I needed to live with. Mm-hmm. And that was really the impetus behind our social mission. So he was lane, is lane number one. <laughs> and then my mom, is her name is Elaine, named after her father. And she homeschooled me and taught me to cook and bake. And she also works at the shop, pretty much full time. And so she's Lane number two. And then I'm Rachel Elaine. And so I'm the third lane to round out the story. And that's where we got the name Lane's Bake Shop.
0: Wow, that's 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 a really cool origin story. And uh, talk a little bit about the social mission, uh, because those are, um, that's a really interesting story too. And it was the genesis? Well, first tell us what it is, and then talk about how that came about.
1: Yeah, so our mission is to be a catalyst for revitalization in urban communities, starting with the south side of Chicago. And that came about because back in college, as I was looking at south side communities, um, I'm originally from the south side, and then we moved to the south suburbs. There was just a wealth of issues. And so I tried to think, okay, given my particular skill set, what can I do to help people? And because I was majoring in finance and accounting, I said, I'll start a nonprofit with a friend. We'll go into low-income neighborhoods and we'll teach people about financial literacy. And I always thought that I would have this nonprofit kind of as a side thing. And then one summer I stayed in Champaign and I did something called the Social Entrepreneurship Summer Institute. Hmm. And that program was where I really tied the fact that a business can do good as a business. It doesn't necessarily have to be a nonprofit that you can make money and create an impact. And so that was kind of what spurred that thinking. So I started to think, okay, well, how can I do this? And then I set it aside and said, okay, well, you have to have, you know, you have student loans, you know, you have to have <laughs> yeah. a career. So, you know, go back to public accounting, you'll, you know, take this path, and then maybe a couple years down the road, she'll open this company, which was not quite how that panned out. <laughs> yeah.
0: Life is a series of ricochets, right? Yeah, it is. Sometimes happy accidents.
1: Very much so. And I think that uh, I would definitely call this path a series of happy accidents. So that was where those two things were kind of, I think, the foundations mm-hmm. of how we pull this together. And so with Lane's Bake Shop, I was thinking one, a bake shop was a great way to achieve this mission because you can hire people with no previous experience and you can give them the skills that they need to have a viable career path and not just a minimum wage job. Mm-hmm. There's examples all over the country of bakeries who have similar trajectories. And so that was one piece of it. And from there I said, okay, well if we're a social enterprise, how else do we achieve this mission? It's good and great to hire people who are from either neighborhoods that are chronically unemployed, um, have chronically high employment, Mm -hmm. or from groups of people like the previously incarcerated that struggle with finding stable employment. And so I said, okay, that's one piece of it, but what else can we do? And I said, we can source from companies that are of similar values to us. So we can make sure that when we buy our chocolate, that we're finding a company who has farmer sustainability programs, that they're not using child labor. When we buy our vegetables, we can you know, source things locally down to where we buy our boxes and packaging supplies. We recently found out that a company we were purchasing supplies from had a lot of values that weren't really aligned with ours, and we cut ties. We resourced everything and found local woman and minority-owned businesses to take our business to. So part two of how we accomplish that mission is through the sourcing. And then the part three is something we're launching this year um, when we open our new retail shop this fall, and that's our community partner program. And so I took, if you haven't guessed by now, I'm a huge nerd. So I took all of this <laughs> thing all of these things I've been studying for years and said, you know, these are the core issues that I think are really the cause of the violence um, and the crime that we're seeing on the south side of Chicago. Because I think a lot of times people are like, you know well, we gotta stop the crime, we gotta stop the gun violence, and that's true, but those are really symptoms. Mm-hmm. You can't police those problems away, I don't believe. You have to address the underlying issues to find out why are people behaving in this way and try to you know, nip that in the bud. So I outlined what I thought these core issues were, and then I found nonprofits that were doing really meaningful work in those areas, and I reached out to them, invited them to join our community partner program. What the community partner program does is that we use our spotlight to shine a light on these partners, and we also funnel money back to them. We do that through fundraising campaigns, also through our loyalty program. Anytime someone signs up for our loyalty program, they'll be able to select which nonprofit they want to support. Anytime they make a purchase, a percentage of those proceeds goes back to them, the same percent every time, in a very transparent process, hmm. so that every time I think of it as cookies for a cause. Every time you buy a cookie or a cup of coffee, <clears throat> That's you'll great. be helping to strengthen the community that our shops are located in. And so we're really, we have some really amazing organizations that we're working with, and so we're very excited to launch that this fall.
0: Wow, <clears throat> I'm I'm just kind of taking all this in what you're saying, and uh, you know I'm old as dirt. I'm just <laughs> starting to figure out some of these connections between business and the rest of the world, and um, w- without sounding you know the wrong way, you're younger than me, and you figured out a lot of stuff early in your career. And I I, I marvel at the connections you've already made and how you've seen how all these constituencies line up. It's amazing. Oh, Where'd that come from? Is that have you always kind of had that sense of connectedness of seeing how? you know, whatever you're doing connects with the broader world around you? Was that taught to you by others? Do you have mentors? How how did you get such a keen understanding of this stuff uh, early in a career?
1: So I think that there's two parts of it. I think one of the parts is being homeschooled, that I was taught critical thinking skills and how to research things and make connections. And we, I mean, we had a curriculum, but we had a little bit more freedom than the traditional schooling allows. And so I think that Mm -hmm. that was part of it and it taught me to be self-motivated and I am a voracious reader. Um, And the other part of it is that I just surround myself with people that are a lot smarter than me. I join organizations of people with like causes, and I just listen and try to soak up everything that I can. That's been one of the huge parts of being a part of conscious capitalism. And when we won the case competition last year, being able to be a part of the executive sessions has just been huge. And so I get to listen to people who have been in business for longer than I've been alive and just learn so much. Mm -hmm. And so I think uh, I'm just really open to... Learning from other people, and we don't, yeah, we don't have to figure everything out on our own. Right. And so I've been fortunate to have a lot of people who have invested in me and taught me things that they've learned the hard way, so that I don't have to on those particular things.
0: Yeah, but you have to make yourself available to it, and you have Absolutely. to make yourself open to it. And I, I really commend you for that. I, um, you mentioned um, your involvement with Conscious Capitalism, and I'm curious, uh, I think I know the answer to this based on the conversation we've already had, but it sounded like you had a lot of these values and ideas and principles just instilled in you from a younger age, and how did you come into contact with Conscious Capitalism? Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, so I was actually thrilled when I found out about Conscious Capitalism because for the most part, my professors and a lot of my friends thought that I was a little bit crazy, they thought, you know, it's nice that you can do good, but you can't really pull off these things and you can't become a profitable business by doing these things. And I had seen some research that said that you could, but I had not found a group of people who believed in pursuing capitalism with the using the tenets of conscious capitalism. Mm-hmm. So I actually found out about the organization from Whole Foods. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my mentors at Whole Foods, uh, when they were having the boot camp last year, he said, hey, I just heard about this. I think you guys should go. And I was like, wait, there's a conscious capitalism organization in Chicago? How have I not heard about them yet? It's like, I definitely need to be a member of this. And so I rounded up my team and we went to uh, the event. And I'm just happy to be surrounded by people who believe in what we're doing and they know that we have have a purpose and then i had a second group of people with family farmed and the good food business um, accelerator Mm -hmm. who have a similar mindset and so those two groups of people have kind of been my safe haven where i've been able to express this is our vision for the business and this is our vision for the social impact that we think we can make through the business Mm -hmm. and they really believe in both pieces of that instead of just saying yeah i think this business is going to take off or i think you can make a social impact they understand that they're they're intertwined
0: yeah I think a couple of things on that. One, I couldn't agree more that the two Cs are not mutually exclusive. Exactly. Um, They don't have to be, and and ideally they're not. And we also have something in common that uh, Whole Foods, I guess, was – um my entree into these ideas too, I was actually at work writing a book uh, at Whole Foods because I could write <laughs> I could write better. It seemed like the the vibe was right, whatever it was the environment was conducive to writing, so I was there doing that, and I saw the end stand with a, uh, a stack of the books and I said uh, that's kind of interesting um, but I saw a stack of the books and uh that was when i i, I had Thought some of these things, but I didn't know that there was a home for these ideas or that there was a a structure in place. And it was so encouraging to me to see uh, that there was. And you talk a little bit about this idea of, um, I think capitalism's gotten a bad name. And to some degree, there's been some, there've been bad actors uh, that have earned that. But I don't think that's indicative of all people in business and certainly the people i think about that i've run into they're not those kinds of people they're actually you know busy trying to do you know get through a career take care of their family take care of the people around them that's been my experience tell me yours in this idea of what do you think capitalism can be and should be and how does it square with some of the work you're doing in your own business
1: yeah that's a very loaded question so i think part of my journey down this path started when I saw what I think capitalism should not be. Mm-hmm. Um, both my husband and I, in our previous careers, we've seen people really just treat it like pawns, worked to the edge of exhaustion, no care about their livelihoods as people and the impact that that makes on workers, but also on the productivity of a company. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of frustrations, I think, that helped to launch this company where we said, we are starting off by saying, we know that we're not going to look like this. Mm -hmm. And what is the opposite of these things that we've encountered? And that was kind of our starting point. These are our values that are most important to us because these were the things that we thought was lacking the most, you know, in our previous careers. But I think that capitalism, that there's a case for conscious capitalism, not just as an option, but as an imperative at this point. We're seeing a lot of, we were actually talking before we uh, started the podcast about a lot of big brands that are falling to the wayside mm-hmm. in the way of doing business that used to be very profitable and spurred their growth is no longer working. And um, my generation, we get a lot of flack for being flighty and not loyal customers. And what a lot of times people don't realize is that we just consume things differently. We care a lot more about where our products come from, who our money is going towards. We're not afraid to take a little bit of extra time to spend our money on something that might not be quite as convenient, but because we care about what that company is doing. And there's actually... um, I'm going to butcher the stat, uh, but there was a Forbes study and it showed that when you looked at the top 50 fastest growing companies in the S&P 500 over the past 10 years, that they were outperforming the rest of the S&P 500 by 400%. -hmm. So in those companies, the common thread between them was that they were all more likely to be driven by ideals than products. And so I think that the imperative is there that companies that want to be successful with this next generation, that you have to care about what you're doing. Yeah. And that's not just uh, a social impact company, because everyone doesn't need to do that. But you need to care about your employees. You need to care about being a good corporate citizen at the very, very least. You're listening
0: to The Curious Conscious Capitalist, brought to you by Conscious Capitalism Chicago. That makes all the sense in the world to me. I, you know, and when you think about even taking some of that language away from conscious capitalism, the, you spend so much time at your work. You need to I think most people wanna feel a connection to what they're doing. Other than, you know, the paycheck is necessary and fine for the vast majority of people out there, but with all the energy and time and we were talking also about commutes. Yes. Before the <laughs> before we started recording and when you think of all that goes into your work, isn't it better to care what you're there to do in the Absolutely. first place? You know? Absolutely. It doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be the a means to an end and then you go do your your do-gooder stuff on the side it it can all be rolled into one thing and isn't that a great thing when it is yeah but uh, you know we we also talked as we were uh, in the lead up uh, today to today we talked about the idea of uh, you know it isn't easy being an entrepreneur it isn't easy you know running an operation running a business and in order for you to achieve the broader mission, you have to be viable as a business. So talk about some of the real world challenges you face uh, just in running this kind of business.
1: Yeah, so one of the challenges, I know I mentioned that one of the pillars of how we achieve our mission is through our sourcing. It takes a lot of work to source things responsibly. A lot of times the, the cheapest, easiest option, if that's a company that for some reason is diametrically opposed to the values that you hold as a company you have to think are my values driving decisions like will I put my money where my mouth is mm-hmm. and that takes up time and energy that as a, an entrepreneur are very scarce to begin with yeah another part of that is educating people on your mission particularly when we're looking at investors a lot of investors aren't familiar with our business model and so they have concerns because they think, Oh, if you're trying to do, you know, have an impact, you're probably not paying attention to profits. You're not paying attention to operational efficiency, and so realizing that the two um, are not mutually exclusive—that you can be business-minded and social-minded at the same time—has mm-hmm. um, definitely been a challenge. We actually had an investor that we are um, really close to making a deal with because we have we bootstrapped this company so far, and we are very undercapitalized. We have to turn down opportunities sometimes because of that, and so we were very close to finalizing a deal with this one individual, and then it came down to we didn't think we were on the same page about our mission. Mm -hmm. We thought our mission was marketable, um, that it was something we could plaster everywhere and it would drive sales, Mm. but when we talked about some of the decisions we were making because of that mission, like we wanted to be located in Southside communities like Mm -hmm. Bronzeville, Inglewood, and Pullman, and he was just, well, if you're going to be south, why not Hyde Park? Why don't you go up to Lakeview? You know, why don't you do this? And. Um,
0: Seems like it's missing the point a bit.
1: Yeah. And we realized that the money was a match, and this person had great experience um, that could have really helped our business grow, but it would have taken us in a completely different direction. And so, as a struggling, broke entrepreneur, <laughs> to look a check in the face and say, you know what, I need to walk away from this because I don't think we're the right partner for you. I don't think we're going to provide what you know, you're looking for. And I don't think you're quite on the same page with us about where we're trying to take this company. It's been one of the hardest things I think I've had to do as an entrepreneur to date.
0: Yeah, that makes that makes sense to me, too. And I look back at my time. It's like, what do you say yes to? And what do you say no to? (laughs) Um, Sometimes the no's are more important. I'm an affirmative guy. And I like (laughs) to think about, you know, opening possibilities all the time and keeping every possibility open. Sometimes that can, again, when you're time starved and resource starved sometimes you just have to say no yeah. and make those tough choices
1: very much so and people sometimes don't get that they're like well you know if this chain grocer comes to you and says hey you know you know we want to bring your products on board you know how can you say no to that i'm like because i i don't have the cash flow we'll go out of business trying to onboard this new account so we have to be very methodical about you know, when we take on new accounts and how we grow and eventually we'll get to the point when we're adequately capitalized where we can pursue these larger opportunities. Um, but yeah, a lot of times my friends are just shocked. They're like, you, you said no to what?
0: mm mm-hmm. what, what will the model be? What's, well, two things. What is the model today kind of straight to consumer versus supplying you know, grocery stores and other, uh, I guess, folks in the distribution chain? What's that and what's the success fantasy? You know, when you think five, 10 years out.
1: Yeah, so the model is that we have retail bakeries. Um, We had our first retail bakery in a tiny section of our production facility, but we ran out of space, so we had to close the retail side of it so that we could take up the rest of the space for production. Yeah. Yeah. But we're planning to reopen retail this fall in Pullman. And then we have the other side of the business, which produces for wholesale customers. And so that's what takes care of our Whole Foods and our Starbucks and our Amazon and things like that.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. That's great. Uh, you know, <clears throat> you think uh, so a future about growth, but would you as you would it be growth outside of Chicago or do you how do you how does that factor in? And if you did that, I presume you would look for uh, to be involved in similar communities.
1: Yeah. So the the vision for the future is to be a Chicago-centric national brand. Mm-hmm. Um, we okay. see going um, national on the wholesale side. Our goal is to do that with our wholesale partners in the next five years. On the retail side, right now we're focused on Chicago, particularly on the south and west sides. We think there's a lot of communities and a lot of work to be done. We do think that this model can be replicated in other cities. So in the future, probably five plus years down the line. You might see us in a Milwaukee or something like that. But we would go into the city. We would need to find people who are living there to show us which organizations are making the most impact, who we should partner with. So for our retail stores, the thought is that people who have worked in our stores here and that we've trained up, that we would be training them to open new stores. So if we did go outside of the city, we would probably Aren't looking to franchise or anything like that, but be very slowly and methodically working with the communities that we're moving into to make sure that we can implement the same kind of cause-based model.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like you have a, <clears throat> a great vision, but it also sounds like you're really disciplined about it. You're you're not making impulsive choices, and it sounds like you've been very very mindful of those things. And you know, again, in the lead up to our conversation today, we talked a little bit about. Entrepreneurs, um, <laughs> yes. and with uh, it's become a very sexy thing these days yes. to be an entrepreneur, the shark tanking of the world, right? Yes. And so, uh, you know, what's your reaction to all that? Is that generally a good thing? Uh, and in, what advice would you offer the budding entrepreneur?
1: Yeah, so I think that it really does future entrepreneurs and aspiring entrepreneurs a disservice because we focus so much on the the end goal or the kind of Facebook uh, snapshots where people see all the highlights. So like someone looking from the outside in our business, they might say, hey, you met the uh, CEO of Whole Foods. You got to go to Starbucks and you met the CEO there. Your products are in this place and that place. And those are all good things, but they don't see behind the scenes that like, we've almost gone out of business several times just because we didn't have cash. That we've sometimes gone months without paying ourselves and like at one point, our utilities were cut off at our house, and we had to like yeah. go to other people's houses to shower and do laundry. Like It gets very, very real. And I think that those sacrifices, when you realize most small businesses that start um, outside of tech companies, they start with money from family and friends. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have a network that can give you $300,000 to start a company, and you have to have proof of concept before you're really able to get any sizable loan, from any lender, you have to realize that between where you are now and your break-even point, there's a lot of sacrifices that have to be made and determine whether or not you're willing to make them. Because sometimes the answer is no, and that's okay, because entrepreneurship is really not for everyone. And the risk that we've been able to take only been because we have an amazing support network. Mm -hmm. Um, Without our family and friends, there's absolutely no way that we would have lasted as far as we as we have, but thankfully we have and now we have these great opportunities. We have great wholesale partners and really have the chance to really impact the city of Chicago, impact our employees and create generational wealth for our family. But the sacrifices to get there and the perseverance to push through the really, really tough times and the, all the no's and things that don't line up when you want them to, I think that we need to be more transparent about that so people are prepared. They know what they're getting into.
0: Yeah absolutely can you imagine doing all this without a sense of purpose
1: no not at all what
0: gets you up in the morning when you're faced with you know the shower the water being cut off yeah
1: i have absolutely no idea
0: (laughs) because i i mean there's there's a lot of motivators for people who you know some is the big score right you you get the the big investment and then you know the big payday at the end that that animates and drives a lot of people but it sounds like that's never i mean that may be in your future but it seems like that wasn't that wasn't the start of it.
1: Yeah, because the way I figure, Jared, my husband and I, we both, we would have made more money if we stuck with our corporate careers in the short term. The long term, we'll see what happens, but if we were in it for money, there's a lot of other ways that we, a lot of faster, less painful ways to make money <laughs> than what we're doing. So yeah, the, the purpose is what gets us out of bed every day and what sustains us during the hard times. Uh, we... Are bringing on a new employee in a few weeks, and when she found out that we were extending an offer to her, the um, one of our community partners actually that she uh, graduated from their program, they called and said that she like ran around the room and then she started crying because she was so happy because this was a life changing thing for her. And so I keep thinking about that when some days I'm like I just want to give up, everything is falling apart. You know, we're not going to be able to get this or get that. Then I think about the fact that we already are making an impact on people.
0: And how, I mean, not only in terms of just the joy of the product and what you do, but putting people to work. um, I think, again, looking back at my time in my career, I think that's one of the most satisfying things that I've done is when you create a a business that's able to put people to work, because you never know how that's gonna change the arc of their life. Yeah, And and I don't wanna give myself too much credit, it's not about that, but that is one of the things that again that is what a good business should do and and you have to embrace the other side. you have to be a profitable business in order to yeah. grow to give people opportunities it's always that balancing act and i know um in terms of growing your business, I think you've got two more customers than Ian and me today based <laughs> on the, the conversation we just had. I, I can't wait to get my hands on some of that stuff. But uh, Rachel, I just uh, I want to say, I want to commend you on the business you've started and, and the growth that you've enjoyed and all the success you're having. Um, uh, what a great mission, what a great purpose, and what a great example you are for all the other leaders here uh, in Conscious Capitalism Chicagoland. <laughs> so thank you for being with us today and sharing your story.
1: Thank you so much for giving us the platform.
0: You got it. Thanks. You've been listening to The Curious Conscious Capitalist. You can find us at ConsciousCapitalismChicago.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.